Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Some of Jesus' final words set the tone for what his disciples were to be doing, and by default, what we should be doing until he returns. And on that mountaintop on Galilee, as Jesus gave the great commission that so many of us are familiar with, we get busy and we get distracted and we forget that that's really the marching orders for every Christian, is to go out and make disciples. And he says it this way in Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you till the end of the age. And so the command from Jesus as his final words on earth before he left were to go and make disciples. And for the Christian that's here today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we have two options. Make disciples or be discipled. That's what we got. And that's what he left us with. You know, you think about last words and what Jesus left us with, that's what he did. But the great news of, the, of really the great commission is that last line. And surely I'm with you always till the end of the age. He doesn't leave us alone in this no more than he does at anything else. And so as we seek to make disciples, because that's not just the church's job, it's all of us who are believers to make disciples, the incredible news is that we have the presence of God with us. We have the power of God with us. And as you look at the men who were on that mountaintop that day in Galilee, they are vastly different than the men who were there some three years before when Jesus called them. Because they had been discipled by Jesus, and then they failed. They'd been discipled, and then they failed. They'd been discipled, and then they failed. And they'd been discipled, and then they, they failed. And yet, in spite of being with Jesus the whole time, they blew it. The great hope for you and I today is that if God can use them, He can use us is that we have the opportunity, because we have the power of Christ that resides in us to grow to be more like Jesus in 2020. By definition, Pastor John used, I believe it was Dallas, Dallas Willard's definition of a disciple, which is someone who's living with increasing surrender to Jesus Christ. Meaning that the longer we're here, the more that we follow Jesus, there should be more and more of us that becomes more like Jesus. It's why the mission of our church is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus in line with what Jesus was just speaking about there. Today, I want to look at three of the people, three disciples, who were closest to Jesus. And if you look at their life through the New Testament, you'll see that in, in spite of them being incredible men of God, they, they didn't always do that. And the three closest to Jesus were Peter, James, and John. Peter, who we all know would go on to deny Jesus three times, but then also be the rock in which the church was founded. James and John were brothers not James, the half-brother of Jesus, but James and John, the son of Zebedee. John would go on to write a decent portion of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. And James, John's brother, would go on to be martyred by Herod in Acts chapter 12. We find that he's killed with a sword. So these guys who were the inner circle of Jesus, who had more access to him than anyone else, and yet they still blew it. And so if it could happen to them, it could probably happen to us. 
that we could spend our whole life in church, that we could know the Bible better than anybody else and yet still miss out on some of the most important teachings of what Jesus has for us. The point is, is today, perfection is not possible. One day we will be perfect. We will be glorified. We will be with Jesus and everything will be made right. But progress is possible. And so my hope and my prayer for all of us today and as we move into 2020 is that perfection is not what we're going to get. But progress we can certainly aim for and hopefully we can move towards that because everyone has a next step. Everyone has an opportunity to move closer in their relationship with God. And so as you think about this next year, honestly, you've probably already blown your, your resolution. So let's talk about what we're actually going to do in 2020 because everyone has the next step. I work out at home, and there's a lot of advantages to working out at home. It's convenient. That's about all I got. But <laughs> I realized that at times I probably developed some bad habits. So two months ago, I was working out at home, and Shelly walks in the room, and she says, I don't think you're doing that right. I'm the one working out. You are walking around the house, Right? Right? I said, okay, whatever. I keep working out. My oldest daughter comes in. She goes, Dad, I don't think you're doing that one right either. <laughs> Nobody asked you guys, right? I just, I'm the one working out. You're sitting on the couch. Don't come talk to me. When I say a, a, a statement like everyone has the next step, there's a little bit of pride that wells up in all of us that you don't know me. You don't know where my relationship with God is. You don't know what, you, what you're doing. And so if I were to say you have a next step, it almost comes at us like, well, no, I don't. You don't know me. But when I came to the realization that I, because here's what happened. So I walked over to the mirror, and I looked in the mirror, and I was doing the exercise wrong. And once I realized it, once I internalized that I wasn't doing it the correct way, suddenly I was a little bit more willing to go, okay, I'm going to change the position of my arms. I'm going to change the position of whatever. So I don't want you to hear today that you have a next step, and you think that's from me. I want you to hear that from the Lord, and so I would just ask you now as I pray that you would ask God to see what you might need to do this next year so that it doesn't come from me, but it's from solely from him because he's big enough and powerful enough and strong enough to know you so well and to know exactly what you need to do this next year. So let's pray and ask God that he'd give that to us this morning. Father, thank you that you are indeed a big enough, strong enough, and powerful enough God, that you know us better than we know ourselves. And that today, as we look at the idea that everyone has a next step, that the three people who were closest to you had some work to do, that, God, that you would bring us to the realization that each and every one of us has work to do to become more like your son, Jesus. God, we pray that we would not only realize what that is, but then you'd give us the courage. And, God, we know that you'll give the power to make that change in our lives. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter 9 today. I spent a lot of time in 2019 in Luke chapter 9, and if you're not reading currently in the Bible, I'd encourage you to check out Luke chapter 9. It is jam-packed with Jesus doing some incredible things. It starts out where he commissions the 12 disciples to go out and heal diseases and tell people about the good news of Jesus. And that all goes well for a while until they run out of food. And so then they come along and Jesus says, no worries, I got the food taken care of. We'll feed 5,000 with a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. They, Peter at this point figures out that Jesus is the Messiah, but Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody, not ready for that to happen yet. Jesus predicts his death. He calls his disciples to step up. 
They end up on top, two of the disciples end up on top of a mountain where Jesus is transfigured right before them. And literally the voice of God comes in and tells people on that mountain that he's pleased in his son and really gives the marching orders for Jesus that would drive him all the way to Jerusalem and to the cross. They come down from that mountaintop experience, right? This is James and John. We'll talk about Peter in a moment. They come down from that mountaintop experience. They realize that this boy can't be healed, and so Jesus tells them, you crazy people, this is what needs to happen. And then a discussion breaks out among them because they just literally heard the voice of God. They have the Son of God in front of them, and they break into an argument about who's the greatest. Then Jesus, I would have just called it a day, but he, he decides we're going to keep going, and we pick up what happens in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says this, it says that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. The most direct route from Galilee to Jerusalem is through an area called Samaria. The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. This is pretty much the way it went for a long, long time. Jesus tells his disciples, look, we're not going to talk about the greatest and who's the greatest. We're going to keep going because he's resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I believe that on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus knew exactly then and there. He knew before, but he was resolute in his determination to go to the cross for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sins. He doesn't going to let anything deter him from what's most important, going to Jerusalem. So he doesn't take the usual long way around Samaria. He goes right smack through it. And he tells his disciples, go and prepare the village that we're going to go to. And usually what that involved is they would tell them that Jesus is coming. There's great news. He's forgiveness of sins and he's going to heal some things and heal some people. And the people in Samaria say, cool, but no thanks. They're not interested. The disciples who had spent time with Jesus, the closest disciples who had spent time with Jesus, James and John, they hear this, they see this, they experience this unwelcome group of people. And their response is the following, verse 54. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Now that seems a little aggressive, by this time, they'd already had the talk about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. They'd had the talk about how we're going to love everybody, even the Samaritans. They'd seen Jesus do this on multiple occasions. And you're sitting there as you read this and go, wait a minute. James and John decide that they want to call down fire from heaven to burn up the people who did not like them, who didn't think like them, who didn't talk like them, who didn't act like them. And we sit here and we look at this and we go, how could they have missed it? How could they not understand? Verse 54 says that they wanted to call down fire from heaven, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. And in case you don't think that Jesus has a sense of humor, does anyone remember what he, he dubbed these two brothers? The sons of thunder. Probably based off of this kind of thinking. Right? I think, he's, I think Jesus is hilarious at times. He comes up with some pretty creative names for the people that he's closest to, and these guys he calls the sons of thunder, probably based on this incident. Right? They don't like us. They don't like you, Jesus. Let's kill them all. But they had been with Jesus the whole time. But we've been in church our whole lives. But we know the Bible in and out. 
And yet sometimes we fail to love people the way that Jesus wants us to. It's really easy to see how the closest people missed it, and, and maybe we do too at times. I love this. that says that Jesus turned and rebuked them. He was showing them in real time, and he's showing us today what it means to have tolerance and love for all people, regardless of whether they think like us or act like us. And the two people who were closest to Jesus missed it. We can miss it too if we're not careful. I also love this about verse 55. Jesus turns and rebukes them. Verse 56, then he and disciples went to another village. There is so much in that verse that they just went to another village. Jesus was so focused on why he came to earth. He's not letting anything, even the craziness of the two people who are closest to him, deter him from what's most important. We're going to make our way to the next village. We're going to tell them if they're willing to hear about God. If not, it's on the way to Jerusalem. It's why he came in the first place, to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. And Jesus doesn't let anything distract him from what's most important. Not only does he not let anything distract him, but the other thing that he does, think about all the times in the parables where Jesus is saying, as they're all along the road, as they make their way into the village, they brought a bunch of people together and started teaching them. You know what Jesus did in the verse 56? He and his disciples went to another village I have a feeling they went through a remedial love class on the way from village A to village B. That's what he was doing. Guys, I don't know how many more times I can say this. We are going to love everyone. Yes, even you, James and John. We're not going to call down fire anymore. We're gonna, this is a new day. There will be a day to do that, and you guys can be second or third in line. But for today, we're going to preach the love and the grace and the forgiveness that is only found in Jesus Christ. So you would think, if you know anything about Peter, right, he's the other one of the inner circle, that Peter would have been in on this party of calling down fire from heaven. But surprisingly, he's not listed, not that he wasn't there, it's just not called out, James and John are the one that did it. And you would think Peter would do it, and we all know Peter for the fact that he denied Jesus three times. We also know that Jesus, on a seashore or on a beach in Galilee, asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter becomes the rock upon which the church is built, and things dramatically change. There's a passage in 2 Peter that I think gives us a clue into not only Peter's life, but it is also a clue for our lives on how we're going to grow closer to Jesus in 2020. By this time, Peter had spent a significant amount of his life working for Jesus, and he didn't do it perfectly. You read the book of Acts, and you see Peter blew it a few more times, and that's just what we know. Be thankful that our lives aren't, I'm glad I'm not in scripture because I wouldn't want anybody to know the times that I'd blown it. And, but God is using them, right? In spite of their flaws, he's using James and John, he's using Peter, and he'll use you if you're just willing to let him use you. So I find an incredible amount of hope in the fact that Jesus dealt with people in a way that I would not. There's a lot more grace and forgiveness even outside of the cross. And Jesus makes his way there. He dies on the cross. Peter denied him, but then he came back. And in 2 Peter, we're going to spend the rest of our time today in 2 Peter chapter 1. I believe that Peter, from personal experience, gives us what we need to take a step out and follow Jesus more closely in 2020. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says that his divine power has given us everything we need for godliness. Everything that we need. So growing in our relationship with God isn't necessarily about more effort in 2020. 
It's not about a a to-do list that you're going to do better. It's about more reliance upon God's power. And in verse 3 and 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he says that God's power has given us everything we need. That we can actually participate in the divine nature, the idea of becoming more like Christ. We can do that, not because we're great people, but because we have a God who gives us the power to make those decisions. He gives us the power to say no to the things that take us away from Christ and yes to the things that lead us to Christ. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says, Look, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. The only way those things happened in Peter's life, and if you think about Peter's life, you can see the times where he lacked a little bit of self-control, the times where he probably didn't make the wisest decisions, the time where he wasn't loving towards his brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that from the pages of Scripture. But we know that these personal lessons that Peter encountered only are possible by what? By the power that God gives. So you could make a list out of First or Second Peter this week, and you could say, I want to do each one of those better. But that's only going to happen if you'll trust Jesus Christ to give you the power to do those things better. So growing in our relationship isn't about, like, we want to check off more things this year. We want to rely on God's power that he freely gives to make some changes in our life that please him. And Peter says it that we should make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. It all starts with faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, that what he did on the cross paid the penalty for your sin, and that by trusting in him, you can have life forever, you can have forgiveness forever, you can have a relationship with God. If you set out this year to grow in your relationship with God and you do not have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you do not have a relationship with God to work on. It's got to start there. But once you do that, you get the unlimited potential and power of God that gives you the ability to step out and change the parts of your life that maybe need changed. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And the idea behind goodness is is that our whole life would be characterized by charity and love towards others. Not just the people we like, but the people we don't like too. Think about Peter's life. Think about the time in Acts when he got a little bit out of shape about people having food that they didn't, shouldn't have had and, and the time that he got a little zealous over the things of God, right? He, he just, he acted first and thought two weeks later. He says you got to add to your faith goodness and knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to discern, but not just to discern the right thing, then actually go and do it. Add to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. Self-control, the idea is literally to get a grip, to get a grip on the things that pull us away from Jesus and to go after the things that push us towards Jesus. Peter says you've got to add that to your faith. You aren't naturally going to stumble into a better relationship with Jesus. You can't hope for a better relationship with Jesus in 2020 and not put some effort in. God has a part. He gives the power. We have a part. We put that power and allow him to use that in the right places in our lives. This is a great list to start with. Add to your faith, goodness, and knowledge, and self-control, 
and perseverance, not just enduring difficult times, but looking forward. And to perseverance, godliness, which is pursuing the right relationship with God and others. Not only are we going to add godliness, we're going to add mutual affection. And the idea behind mutual affection is that we wouldn't be so busy on our own stuff, that we'd be willing to miss out on something for the sake of someone else. Those are the things that we've got to add to our faith. Make every effort to add them to your faith. And lastly, add love. Because about the time you think that you're doing really well in love, God usually gives you an opportunity to show you that, nope, not yet. Right? James and John probably thought they were doing great until they ran across the Samaritans and decided they wanted to burn them all. And Jesus, I have a feeling on that walk along to the next village, took them back and said, guys, we've we got to love them too. And so Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith the following things. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a great place to start. It starts with faith and it ends with love. And then I love this part of Peter. I love his directness. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one wants to be a loser, especially in regards to our faith. Nobody wakes up and says, man, I'd like to do worse this year at following Jesus. I've met a lot of people at the end of their lives that said, man, I wish I would have taken that more seriously, but I have yet to meet somebody that says, I wish I would have taken that less seriously. And so Peter says, look, if you possess these in increasing measure, meaning that it's becoming more and more, right? A disciple is somebody who's living with increasing surrender to Jesus. If we add these things to our faith, we're going to keep ourselves from being ineffective and unproductive. But it's got to go through every fiber of our being, which is where the problem becomes. And so as you think about what you might want, what God may want you to do, I think Peter shared these from his own personal experience. And I think Peter got to the point in his spiritual life where he realized that only this stuff is only going to change through God's power. You, you can't do it on your own. You can try and do it on your own, but it's only going to happen when you allow him to work in and through you. In 2016, a guy named Pete Kostelnik, who was a financial analyst from Iowa, decided that he was going to do the run that Forrest Gump did in the movie. Remember when he, Forrest runs across from one end of the country to the other? Well, Pete's a financial analyst from Iowa, and he decides he's going to do that. I've been fascinated with his story. I heard it on a podcast a couple weeks ago and have loved learning about what, Pete, what drives Pete. Then Pete decided, well, that's not enough. We got to do something more. And so he decided in 2018 he was going to run from Kenai, Alaska to Key West, Florida by himself. So Pete his shoes and a stroller full of food and whatever else he needed for the day, in 97 days did 5,300 miles and he completed the, the run from Kenai, Alaska to Key West, Florida, taking a break only two days of the 97 days. As I heard Pete's story, I was so impressed with the, of how the parallels happen in our Christian life. Now, no one in their right mind sets out to run from Alaska to Key West. But sometimes it feels like that. Following God feels like that sometimes. It might as well be from Antarctica to the other side of the world. Right? We get really frustrated. Pete shared this in, in one of the interviews they gave him. He said, even ultra-marathoners walk sometimes. But we always start running again. Even ultra-marathoners, they, they walk sometimes. 
they get to the point where they're just, it's just too much. And, and I'm afraid what happens for a lot of us in our faith, when we get to those moments where we're like, I'm done, I just got to take a walk for a while. And then we just keep walking. And we never start running again. And we never go back to what God's wanting us to do. We never take a step out in faith and trust him that he'll provide the power that we need to do what we need to do in our lives. And so we just keep walking. And Pete says, look, the only thing that separates an ultramarathoner from a non-ultramarathoner is we always start running again. And maybe that's what you need to do in your life. Maybe you've been walking in your faith or stopped even. Or maybe you've never even started in your faith. We've all got to take a step this year to be more like Jesus. They asked Pete, they said, Pete, what's the next, what's the hardest part of any race? He said, the next part. What's the hardest step of any part? It's always the next step. It's always that time when you're going to have to pull back and decide, okay, if God really is God and he has given me power to do whatever he's called me to do, then my part in that is stepping out in faith and trusting that he's going to provide. Pete said, look, the hardest part's always the next part. And I'm going to take it from a guy who's ran 5,300 miles in 97 days that he's probably on to something. And I'm also going to look at the parallels of Scripture that tell us that, look, we've got to step out in faith. We've got to run our race with endurance. We've got, there's so many parallels to Pete's story. But as Pete was, as he was talking about this, I was struck with the fact that, that he said, you know, that the that hardest part is always the next part. I don't know what your next step is in following Jesus. I've got some ideas, but I can encourage you and I would challenge you that stepping out in faith and trusting him is the best thing you can do. As a church, we're passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And since every one of you is different, we have no way to know what every single person could possibly need. The only thing we know for sure is that everybody's got to take a step closer to Jesus this year. The only thing we know for sure is that God gives us the power to do that. And the only thing we know for sure is that, because we've seen this in the life and faith of other people, is that if you'll do that, God will provide everything that you need along the way. As a church, we've been thinking and praying about how do we help people become better disciples. And we have some things in place that work, and it's, it's fairly organic. But over the next year, you'll hear more about this discipleship pathway. And what we have is, as you walk out of here today, we have a survey that you can take. It's, it's for you. Nobody needs to see it unless you want to share it with somebody. And it breaks it down, our faith down into four areas, or our growth into four areas. So I want to walk through and give a real high-level view of this. You'll hear more about it in the weeks and months to come. But you can take that assessment, and it'll give you an idea of these four areas where you could grow and develop in. Just because everybody's different. It's a tool. It's not perfect. There might even be a typo on it, but it's a way to start to help you take your next step. So the four main areas that we would encourage you to grow in is number one is to know God better. Every one of us, if he really is a limitless, all-expansive God, then we're never going to exhaust what we could know about him. We're going to be launching some classes and some videos that will help you get to know God better this year. And so if you take that assessment and you score really low in knowing God, this would be a great first place to start. We'll start with a 101 class next month, how to read your Bible, how to study your Bible, and how to pray. Because that's how we come to know God better to start. And then 201 and 301 will develop, and every quarter, 101, 201, and 301 will happen. So if you miss one, you just wait till the next one. If you're, if you're still trying to grow and develop, there's other video ones we can send you. But we just want to help you get to know God better in 2020. 
You can read the disciple training plan that Pastor John's talked about the past two weeks. That's a great place to start. You miss a day, get back on the horse. Try again. Try to memorize Scripture. Try and know God better in 2020. The second component of this is that we would be living in community. So we're going to know God. We're going to live in community. Now, typically, this has happened in small groups in our church. 340-ish of you are in a small group. That's not the only way to live in community. We recognize that not everyone can make it into a small group because of time or life situation. But we all should live in community. And what I mean by that is that you may have community in your basketball team, with your neighborhood, but we're talking about biblical community that would, as Pastor John talked about last week, that would spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And biblical community would look to push us all closer to Christ. And so that might happen in your neighborhood. It might happen on your basketball team, but we want it to happen as best as possible, and it happens best when it's with a group of believers who are trying to help each other grow to be more like Jesus. So we want to know God. We want to live in community. Number three, we want to make disciples. Based on the words of Jesus, you either get to make disciples or you get to be disciple. So we'll launch some discipleship groups of three to five people throughout the year that can help you grow to become a disciple. If you would like to be discipled, you can be a part of those. Another great way you can do this is we're in the process of making disciples in everything that we do. It's kind of how we evaluate whether we do something or not. So here you're getting to learn more about Jesus. Next week you'll get to learn more about Jesus. We have a kids' ministry that is discipling the next church, and you can be a part of that. You're not just holding a baby. You're not just playing with kids. You get the opportunity to disciple, and what a great opportunity we have with an incredibly um, gifted staff and volunteer team and an incredible group of kids that we can disciple them as well. But listen for the discipleship groups that will be kicking off. So we all want to know God. We want to live in community. We want to make disciples. And lastly, we want to change the world through evangelism, through missions, through serving and generosity. And you may find yourself saying today, Tyson, how on earth is that going to change the world? I don't know. But here's what I do know. It very well may change your world. So while I can't promise you that we can change the entire world, I can promise you that when you'll say no to yourself and serve others, when you'll say no to your own wants and desires and be generous, that when you'll take a step out and pray for those who are serving on a mission field far away or maybe take a step and take a mission trip, you're going to change the way that you see your world. And in that, God will do something in and through you that will change your world to help you see the world as God sees the world. And so our hope is that every one of you would know God, live in community, make disciples, and change the world. There's three great um, service trips that we have planned this year if you'd like to go. Uh, one of them is to Twin Lakes in the springtime for a service trip to help get camp ready for the hundreds, if not thousands, of kids that will be there. That's over spring break. There's a trip to Trinidad in late fall. That's a discipleship trip. There will be training and working with a church there. And then there's also a trip in December of next year, or this year, excuse me, that will be with a church plant that we helped out earlier this past December. And so those are three easy ways. You'll hear more about this in the weeks to come. But we wanted you to know that there is a path that it's imperfect, but we all have the power through Jesus Christ to make the step that we need to take. And so you'll see on the bulletin, there's some other options that are on the backside of your bulletin. You'll hear in the coming weeks, this is a no-God opportunity. This is a make-disciples opportunity. We just wanted to give you a couple options and heads up about what was coming in regards to that. As we close our time today, the question becomes, what do we do? Because that's a lot. I would encourage you to take that assessment. Wherever the lowest score is, start there. 
If you want help with that, we would love to help you. Contrary to popular belief, we work outside of Sunday. Our job is to help you become a disciple of Jesus, a more fully devoted disciple. So if we can help you in any way, we'd love to do that. If you want to put it on your Connect card, you want somebody to be praying for you, we'd be happy to do that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can I just tell you, that's, that's step number one. That you've got to come to the place where you realize what Jesus Christ has done and put your faith and trust, and we'd love to help you with that. Pastor John mentioned last week that if you've done that, you've got to get baptized. Like that's, that's your next step. And so if there's a way we can help you on your Connect card, put it down. We'd be happy to help you this week work through that and help you. But here's the thing I love. We can come up with the greatest plans and schemes, and it doesn't really matter. Because God knows what you need, and I believe that he's going to give you what you need to grow in 2020 if you'll just let him. So as we close our time today, I just want to give you a few moments to ask God. God, maybe he's already made it clear to you. Maybe it's going to take another couple weeks to make it clear to you. Maybe you're going to figure it out in August. I don't know, but we just want to close our time now and give you an opportunity to ask God, God, what do you have for me in 2020? Because I believe he'll give you the power. And I believe through his word, we know what we need to do. So it's just a matter of going out and stepping out in faith. As Pete said, the hardest step is the next one. And so whatever it is for you, I challenge you and encourage you to step out and do that. We'll be here to walk alongside you. I'd encourage you to pray at this time. we thank you that you're a big enough God that right now at 11.30 on a Sunday morning in Danville, Indiana, that you could reveal to each one of us separately exactly what you want us to do. We recognize that there may be multiple things that you want us to do this year, and so God, I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to your Spirit's leading, that God, that your Spirit would empower us to follow you better in 2020 than in 2019 that all of that might be for your glory. Not only that we'd be more effective and more productive in our knowledge of you, but God, that you would get glory in our lives for what you've done. We recognize, God, that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. That is a gift that you have given freely to us. We also recognize that our growth and development is, is all because of your goodness and grace as well. We recognize we have a part to play, so help us to play our part well. God, I thank you that you love us. And for those guys who are closest to you, you didn't give up on them, and you will not give up on us. On the days that they made mistakes, you loved them and welcomed them. You challenged them. And God, we know that you'll do the same with us. Pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to where you lead. God, thank you for your patience with us. Pray that we would be patient with one another. In Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.